A good haircut can be a game changer. I mean, everybody wants to look their best for those social media pics, right? So get yourself to Sport Clips at Sport Clips Haircuts. They hair do like no one else hair does. See what they did there? Not only is it the home of champion haircuts, but they've also made relaxing and unwinding the name of the game. Level up your haircut with the MVP haircut experience. It's a spa day for your follicles. Check this out. You get a seven pressure point massaging shampoo along with a perfectly steamed hot towel all while sports plays on the TV. Does it get any better than that? No. You can want it all and have it all at Sport Clips. It's a game changer. This episode is brought to you by Progressive, where drivers who save by switching save nearly $750 on average. Plus, auto customers qualify for an average of seven discounts. Quote now at Progressive.com to see if you could save. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates, national average 12-month savings of $744 by new customers surveyed who saved with Progressive between June 2022 and May 2023. Potential savings will vary. Discounts not available in all states and situations. Dan Lambert has the uh, biggest collection of wrestling title belts maybe in the world today. So uh, he's brought a bunch of them, and we're going to discuss kind of the history behind these belts. I have no idea which ones he's brought. Um, So Dan is going to join us, and also Eddie Kingston is a wrestling uh, historian as well. So he's going to join us too. So Dan Lambert, Eddie Kingston, come on out. All right. Hey, guys. Eddie and I have a, a truce today. We're not gonna tr- just for today. We don't like each other, but uh, we yeah, do. Yeah, we're here. We're good. All we right. do like wrestling, so it's good. Yeah, my love for wrestling will outweigh my hatred for Chris Jericho. Yeah, exactly, exactly. <laughs> well, the last, a, the last time I was in a ring with you was true a story. Minneapolis street fight, and you were stapling my balls to my legs, so I'm kind of <laughs> hoping for yeah. a, better, a better experience today. That's true. All three of us have a truce today. That was that, that was a fun time, uh, Dan. Uh, about a year ago or so, was really involved in our EW storylines, and we actually had a, a pretty good street fight match to wrap it up. It was a blast. <laughs> so, Dan, obviously, you are a very successful in MMA with American Top Team, um, very much so. But you are a lifetime wrestling fanatic. Big time. Big time. Big time. So what made you decide to start collecting all of these titles? Um, I was actually, uh, had my own MMA promotion because back in the late 90s, early 2000s, there just weren't many places to get fights. So we're trying to build a team and train fighters and you can't get them fights because there's only a few places around the country that, you, that they're having fights. So I said, screw it, I'll do my own promotion down in Florida. So I reached out to Dave Milliken to make me some belts. And we started talking wrestling and went back. And I was like, man, you ever come across any old belts that might be for sale? I, I love wrestling belts. I mean, you, 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 you look at wrestling and it's, you know, it's good versus evil, but it's the chase for the belts, too. And the championships in wrestling are just so cool. You know, in baseball, you get a ring before opening day the next year when you win or the NBA or you win a Ted at Wimbledon. You get a trophy you put in your closet or 
in your living room. In wrestling, you get a belt, it's you know, the ocho, you know, you're bragging, it's on your shoulder, it's on your waist, they mean something. In the territory days, all the territories had their own unique belts and the, the champions never really went against each other back then. So it's like, I bet you my Florida heavyweight champion could beat the Missouri champion, you know? And, so I just grew up loving belts. And Dave was like, yeah, I know where some belts are if you're interested. And it started and for the last 20 plus years. I've just been grabbing every one I can find. So Dave Milliken, uh, you might have, he was just on Talk as Jericho a couple of weeks ago. He is uh, the guy who makes all of the belts, not just for WWE, AEW. He's done UFC work. He does work for like, you know, if Madonna wanted a championship belt for one of her record, one of her albums, he made that. He's also the guy that makes, if you guys are doing the ultimate Jericho VIP experience, or if you have done it, he makes the belts that we have every year that, that you guys get. So um, he's kind of the guy that can find all of these. And, and so, I mean, let's just start talking. You got a whole table full over here. You want to just kind of grab them one at a time and kind of we can we can discuss each one. Now, how, how many how many belts do you have? Do you think total? I have about 100, 105 at home. I brought Jeez. I brought 16 <laughs> of them. They go back to the 30s. Um, I love the territory days. Dave also helps me because he authenticates them before I buy them. Right. He's the one who tells you if they're absolutely real or not. Absolutely yeah. ring used because you'd be amazed at the people who are trying to scam you on selling belts. I've had Bruno Sammartino's kid try to scam me on a belt. Austin wow. Idol try to scam me on a why, belt. Why wouldn't they? It's, it's just, the corny days, brother. You're right. Don't be surprised. And I'm an easy mark because I'm a mark. <laughs> so, all right. Why don't we start? Jeez, look at that. early. This is the WWF wow. U.S. Tag Team title from 1963. Oh, my gosh. Uh, it's basically the precursor to the WWE World Tag Team titles. When Vince McMahon Sr. broke away from the NWA, he had an NWA territory, got into an argument with the board of directors because they wanted to change the title from Buddy Rogers to Luthez. And Luthez didn't like touring a lot. And Vince Sr. was like, no, I need a champion. I need a champion to come up and tour I can make money off of. He tried to keep Buddy as champion. They voted against him. So he's like, screw it. I'm going to start my own company. So he starts WWF. This was his first tag title that he used. And part of what I love about the belts is not just the fact that Buddy Rogers held this belt. Bruno Sammartino held this belt. Gorilla Monsoon held this belt. You know, the legends, Johnny Valentine, the people that held yes. this belt. It's just crazy thinking about them carrying it around and going from arena to arena. But the stories behind the belts are just crazy uh buddy rogers he had heart problems that's why he dropped the wwf belt so quickly to bruno and he didn't wrestle much after that and what he did they were very short appearances but he went back to ohio and started his own promotion and he took this belt as well as the original belt that he dropped to bruno to start the wwf he took him home with him and when he passed away, he left him to his best friend and his tag team partner, Johnny Barron. When he passed away, his wife's cleaned out the attic, and there they are in the attic. Who Jesus. knows how many years they've been sitting in the attic. So I bought the two belts from, from her uh, through Dave. But uh, then WWF found out that Dave had them and sold them. And they were like, hey, we need our first heavyweight title. And Dave's <laughs> like, Dan, you want to make a bunch of money? And I'm like, sure, everybody wants to make money. He's like, I want to, you got to sell that belt. <laughs> You, I'm not selling that belt. He's <laughs> like, you don't know how much they're going to offer you. I was like, it doesn't matter what they offer. They can offer to my kid when I die. I'm right. sure he'll love to talk to you. <laughs> um, how much did you pay for that belt? I, pay, I bought both those belts for, I think, $30,000. Um, which I thought was a bargain. But yeah. 
uh, months went by and Dave kept calling me back, you sure you won't do it? And, and then he called me back and literally said, man, they're so pissed off at me. I'm afraid they might not use me to make their belts anymore. Oh, wow. I was like, you can have it. Give it to them. If they want to give me some belts back, I'll, uh, you know, I'll take whatever they give me. And they ended up giving me like the spinner belt that The Rock won from Cena when he came back and some old intercontinental belt that some lady named China fought against some guy named Jericho over. <laughs> um, and some pretty cool belts they gave, they gave to me. So I, don't, I no longer have that one. I loved it. But, uh, but I kept the title. And just so you know, the title belts that you guys see cost about $30,000. Like the AEW Championship is about thirty, forty thousand. 40000 So they're very expensive pieces of hardware um, and very, very intricately designed and built. What you got on this one here? I don't know what's cooler, the belt inside this or the carrying case that the, war, the WWA world champion in the 50s and 60s would carry the belt around in. Look at that, it's engraved, Jesus. World Heavyweight Wrestling Champion. This is from Dick the Bruiser's WWA promotion back in the 60s in Indianapolis. And yeah. guys like Gene Kaniski and Harley Race and Ox Baker and Ernie Ladd all held this title. It's a velvet strap. Oh, look at that. Wow. <laughs> look at the, wow. Amazing, yeah. It's, what is this, velvet? Yeah. Look at that right there. What I always liked about these old championships is that they all look kind of like boxing yeah. titles. Before it got all big and huge right, right, right. and everything, they all look like boxing titles. The older ones are so simple. Yeah. And, and if you look at this on the side, it says who is the champion and what dates. Yep. They've got Luthez spelled T-H-E-Z. That's not correct. That's not how you spell it, right? And you know what's better than that? He never held it. You guys are working us all the time, 24-7. <laughs> he never held that title. Luthez, Ed Carpentier, Vern Gagne, uh, Wilbur Snyder. Snyder Joel held it. Vern. Freddie Blassie and Dick, Dick Bruiser. Dick the Bruiser. I mean, he held that. No, the, a, just Dick Bruiser. He held that title like 17 times. But So this was from the Indianapolis Territory? It was. Yeah. Yeah, that's amazing. I just picture the champion pulling up to the arena every night. Do it that big leather bag. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They were so classy back then. I hear right, 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 right. You yeah. know how proud he is of his title. I mean, I don't know if you guys understand, and this is something I learned when I was AEW. These guys, other than taking a complete beating that most of my MMA guys would never even want to touch with a 10-foot pole, they take such pride in their work. And when they're fortunate enough to put themselves in a position to win a title, they're so proud. Yeah, that title. I mean, it's a it's a lifetime I, I of work. Have, I have never been one of those guys. It's like, ah, oh, it's just a title. Like to me, it's like winning an Oscar. You know, like you're not you're not really winning it, but you're being awarded this this honor because of your work and your drawing power and your ratings power. So it is it is a big deal to be a champion, a, a, any kind of champion. It really it really does make a difference. To me, people who say it's not a big deal we'll never be champions yeah. or don't deserve to be right. champ or earned it to me that means the company trusts you that's right that's what it really is yeah. the company goes we give you this championship belt this prop but what it means is is that you're on the posters yeah. you're the guy that people are going to see first you're the guy that has to sell out the houses so being a champion does mean something. Yeah, it means something. Absolutely. They'll never be a champion, and they certainly will never be lay champion. <laughs> so these two, these two belts go together because there's a really cool story. So Jerry Lawler in Memphis, yeah. CWA Wrestling, you know, he 
had like a 20 year pursuit of a world title and everybody went through Memphis back in those days and wrestling. Yeah. Jerry Lawler was always the guy wrestling for the world title and always getting screwed out of it. He finally wins it. He beats Kurt Hennig, Mr. Perfect for the AWA heavyweight title, which is this belt. It's a little different than the one you remember Bockwinkle with. Yeah, no, they, this is different. They had changed it towards the end um, and, and made that belt. So Jerry Lawler wins that title and this is in the kind of the dying days of the territories. This is like 1989. So the companies that had not gone out of business yet from Vince McMahon Jr.'s national expansion, they're, they're just figuring out ways to scramble to try to make a living and keep an audience coming. So the AWA and World Class, the Von Erichs promotion, which was among the hottest promotions in the history of the planet. In their yeah, down in, down in Texas, uh, we, we had Keith Mitchell who worked in the truck for uh, AEW until he retired, was in the truck during the world-class days filming stuff. And they were pioneers because they were the first ones to do multiple cameras. When and the studio days was one, what, one or two cameras, yes. maybe? But world-class was what basically Dynamite is today. And we're they, just updated. And they were also the first territory to use ring music, world-class. They were. Yeah, they started with so free much. birds and, and all the vignettes and the promos and vignettes, the yeah, on the Von Erichs farm when yeah. you know Jimmy Garvin lost a match and his wife had to be David Von Erichs valet for a week and she's <laughs> scooping cow poop and he was cleaning the dog and everything. Yeah, it was good great. times. So anyway, world class is kind of in its dying days and and the AWA is struggling. So they said, well, let's join forces and we'll do a you know one big territory. So we'll do a unification match. Kerry Von Erich held the world-class title. And again, going back to the stories, Bobby Fulton was one half of the Fantastics, which was a great tag team, kind of similar to like the Rock and Roll Express back in the day. He worked Texas. Fritz Von Erich was a great promoter, but notoriously frugal. And on Fulton's- Like most. Like, like most. most. So on, Fr on Fulton's last day with the territory, he goes to get his payday and the story goes, Fritz said, nope, you're done. Go. You owed it for this or that, and I'm not paying you. So on his way out to his car, he slipped into Kevin Von Erich's locker room and took the world title said, see you later. Wow. <laughs> so that's just another great story about how this wow. belt came about. So they did a unification match between Lawler and Kerry Von Erich. Lawler won the title. Supposedly didn't get paid by the AWA promoter at the time for it, so he left the AWA, combined those two titles, and started the USWA which still lasted for a few years and then became WWE's developmental territory. That's where The Rock got his start. And uh, I actually, yep, yes he did. And I actually had the first title The Rock ever held for a while, which was the, which was the USWA tag title. Wow. And he came to our gym to film some reality show he was doing in the MMA related and I actually gave him that belt, so. And he was like in tears getting yeah. the first belt. It meant that much to me. He said, I made $50. I won this in a ring in the middle of a flea market. <laughs> <laughs> this looks like you, this is autographed by Kevin Von Erich? Yes. Yeah. It, it came that way. Yeah. Yeah, these, uh, I've never seen the world-class title before. That's pretty cool. Just the stories behind these belts and the fact that you know all the stories is, is uh it's very, very cool. It's like half the fun. Yeah. It, it truly is, to me at least. Yeah, and like, like you said, he, he took the belt, Bobby, right? Fulton. He took, that the, was, he took the title. Yeah, that was <laughs> a thing that I was taught early in my career was if you're not getting paid, 
take something from them, from the promoter. So I get that. <laughs> there are many a times Ian Rotten didn't pay me, and I said, well, that's coming with me. If I get <laughs> and even if you are getting paid, take something on the way out. Yeah, why that. not? <laughs> All right, there are some seriously talented luchadors in AEW, and not all of them speak English, which can make putting together matches a little challenging sometimes. That's why I signed up for Rosetta Stone. I'm learning Spanish, amigos. Eh, amigas, see, already learning. Haha, Rosetta Stone is the most trusted language learning program. You don't even have to learn Spanish, though, because Rosetta Stone has 25 languages, including French, German, Korean, Arabic, and Polish, and Japanese. That's what I'm going to do next. I spent a lot of time in Japan, and I still work with a lot of Japanese wrestlers at AEW like Takeshita, so having a better handle on the language will definitely show in the ring. Communication is key, and learning Spanish on Rosetta Stone has been so fun and easy. They've got this true accent feature that gives you feedback on how well you're pronouncing words, sort of like having a personal trainer for your accent. I'm using the app, but you can also do the lessons on desktop or laptop. I also like that I can download the lessons and do them offline, which is perfect for a plane. I can sit there on a flight and work on my Espanol. So don't put off learning that language. There's no better time than right now to get started. For a very limited time, Talk is Jericho listeners can get Rosetta Stone's lifetime membership for 50% off. Visit rosettastone.com slash Jericho. That's 50% off unlimited access to 25 language courses for the rest of your life. Redeem your 50% off at rosettastone.com slash Jericho today. That's rosettastone.com slash Jericho. Do it today. 1989 Saturday night's main event, Hulk Hogan is wrestling against uh, Randy Poffo. Um, Lanny. Lanny Poffo, I'm sorry. Who just passed away yesterday. The genius. The genius. Here's to the genius. Rest in peace. Yep. Kurt Hennig interferes. Hogan gets counted out. It's a huge upset. And then Kurt attacks Hogan and destroys the winged eagle belt that he had with a hammer and after the segment was filmed everybody walks away and this is just sitting on the ground in a heap and a bunch of pieces around it and the guy who was on the ring crew was like yeah I'll take that and he scooped it up and sold wow. it to a guy who sold it to this guy I remember this angle vividly it was on Saturday Night's main event and it was a huge upset because the genius lost to Hogan like you said I loved the genius. He was one of the best characters. He was uh, literally like, he wore like a cap and gown, if you guys remember the genius. And he always told these poems, these great poems. And they smashed this belt with the hammer. And I vividly remember this. So the fact you have this is so, so cool. Especially that angle at that time in the WWF, they were very cartoony. This was a very Southern-like angle with... Perfect looking, you know, vicious, granted, breaking yeah. this, but it was still very different at the time. It caught a lot of people. I was, what, eight yeah. when that happened, and I still remember yeah. Perfect doing it. I remember him on the ground hitting it with the yeah. hammer. Like, to this day, I can see that. I have a picture. That's really cool. I have a picture that I keep next to the belt of Hogan holding it all destroyed, like tears coming down his yeah, face. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Selling <laughs> yeah, it so, so much. Good. Body slammed Andre in front of 100,000 people. It <laughs> yeah. goes up every year. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> That's very, very cool stuff. I like that one because I have a personal connection to that belt in remembering that angle and seeing that. Okay, well, you'll have another personal connection here. These two belts kind of go together. 
WrestleMania 20, if you guys remember, there's like an iconic picture of Benoit and Eddie Guerrero in the ring. They both won the two versions of the world title and they're holding them up in the middle of the ring. Well, these happen to be the exact two belts that they did that with. That's the one Eddie beat Brock Lesnar for. And that's the one Benoit won the triple threat with Triple H and Shawn Michaels. Wow. And if you notice, the nameplates have different names on them because they then drop the belts back. But some really smart guy from the WWE was one of the agents tracked the belts and when they were available and going to get changed, he swooped those two down because they were so historic. Yeah, this, this is a heavy one. That, one there, that one's got Triple H's name on it. This one has seen his name on it. They started doing that, I think, probably with 2005 when you won the world title. They, they, they have a nameplate on there. So it's pretty cool. Yeah, and they took this from... What, WCW or was yeah, it? Yeah, that's, that's, that's the WCW one. Yeah, the big gold belt, as they used to call it. Yeah, very heavy, though. When I was the undisputed champion, I used to have to carry that belt. And I think I was the last guy to have the, the winged eagle belt, which is still my favorite WWE belt. But I used to have to carry them. When you have the, the titles, you are responsible for them. So you have to carry them with you everywhere. And those... Things were so heavy. Not complaining, but going through the airport with these two giant belts. You got to take it through security every time. Hey, look at this. Hey, Larry, look at this. We got a wrestler over here. It's look at this. It's hey, look at this. And it's like seven in the morning. Like, dude, really? Are we gonna do this? Oh, wait, are you boxing wrestling? Oh, he's a wrestler. He's a wrestler. Like Hulk Hogan? Yeah, man. Yeah, just, yeah, yeah. still to this day. To this day. To this day. Yeah, man. I throw a big boot and everything. You should see me. <laughs> just put the shit in. I gotta go. I read something the other day. I got three connecting flights to somewhere. Who knows? I read the other day that Cody Rhodes is trying to get them to bring back the winged eagle. Yeah. If he was, if he, yeah. An interesting Cody Rhodes story with a belt. The belt that his dad wrestled against superstar Billy Graham back in the late 70s in Madison Square Garden. You know the old world title belt. Um, it was at one time held by Pedro Morales. Yeah. Um, and... Pedro had a gambling problem and fell on some hard times at one point, and one of the belts that he actually held, he pawned it. He hawked it. Wow. And it sat in a pawn shop in New York City for like 30 years, and nobody knew what it was. Of course. And someone found it in the pawn shop, and they got it, and I ended up buying that belt, and Cody found out I had it, and he told me that his dad had a picture over his mantle when he was a kid holding the title up on the middle rope, thinking he'd won it because he'd won a disqualification. And then they tell you, oh, the champion's privilege. You know, you didn't win that belt. That So he took it back and he's like, dad, why did you, you know, why are you posing with that belt? You never held it. And his dad explained to him, you know, how the business worked. And Cody says that's that belt. The picture of that belt is the reason he became a pro wrestler. Because wow. he wanted to win that belt. That's cool. That's Pretty cool. And maybe he will at WrestleMania. Yeah, absolutely. I thought his story was so cool, I gave it to him. Oh, that's cool. Oh, that's awesome. That's cool. By the way, we, we, they, they call that a dusty finish. Yeah. But he learned it from Eddie Graham down oh. in Florida, and he was a pioneer. See, I'm dropping my own history. <laughs> Eddie Graham was a pioneer in uh, Tampa, Florida, who was a genius with finishes and all that. Dusty took that, then it became the Dusty finish, and everybody started hating it. Anyway, back to the belt. Here's Eddie Graham's Florida Heavyweight title for you. That one was used in about 1970. I've got probably four or five different. Was Florida. this the one for, for Eddie Graham? Oh, yeah. Yeah. 
It was his promotion. That was that was the one they used in the 70s. I, I have probably f- at least four different Florida heavyweight titles. They just changed them fairly yes. fairly uh, every That's now and awesome. then. When you see these two, like, they're just so primitive, these older ones. Yeah, but they look like they can last for years, yeah. unlike the ones yeah. we have now. Most of so most, saying. Most of the, the belts in Mexico are the original belts yeah. from, like, the 30s, 40s. And I was the NWA middleweight champion which is the same title that Gory Guerrero held, Eddie's dad, and it was the same belt, and it was very similar to this because they take great pride. It's like they don't want new belts. These things are from the original 1940s. They're almost 100 years old. You carry those with extra special protection. Yeah, yeah, sure. but I get that. It's about history, folks. When you get into this business, you that's what you want to learn about, and this is what you want to be a part of is history. Yeah. Jack Briscoe, Dusty Rhodes, Ernie Ladd. Yeah, Ernie, big all, all those guys <laughs> held that belt. I'm watching Mid-South Wrestling from 1982. Ernie Ladd's all over that. <laughs> he booked no pop for Ernie Ladd? All right, guys, got to get <laughs> on your Ernie Google. <laughs> <laughs> you know, thank you, but I'm saying, Jesus. Uh, Look at that one. Shout out to Gory Guerrero. Here's oh, a belt wow. he held. This wow. is uh, Dory Funk Sr. had a promotion in Texas in Amarillo back in the 50s and 60s, and it bled into the 70s, and it was an NWA territory, and back then there was only one NWA champion that would tour to all the territories, but every territory was allowed to have their own NWA World Tag Team titles if they wanted to. Like At one point, there were like 12 different ones. So the Amarillo version of the NWA World Tag Team Championship is from the 50s, is right there, and just look how cool that is. Gory Guerrero held that six times, six different partners. Wow. That's amazing. It's a, you, you can just hold it in one hand, too. It's so tiny, you know? Like, this is literally some guy nailing this you know, together in his garage or whatever, you know? Man, look at this thing. I can picture Terry Funk doing it himself. <laughs> yeah. As a, as a six-year-old or something. Yeah. Terry held that. Yep. Wow. Greatest wrestler of all time, Terry Funk, folks. Give it up. And, and what territory is this from, Dan? Amarillo in Amarillo. Texas. That was uh, Dory, Dory's promotion down there. If you look, it's like a, the, the little thing in the middle is like a, a, a globe, and it says Triumph written on the middle of that, which is kind of strange. <laughs> yeah. I don't know what exactly that means, but I guess if you won this, you Triumph. A lot of belts are like this, right, Dan? Like this kind of small with this kind of leather. Like, especially, like, the NWA, like, heavyweight title wasn't, because they brought that to Japan, though. Yep, they're, 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 the older ones were much simpler, you know, yeah. smaller, lighter. I think they're so much cooler. Maybe it's just because of the history and the guys who held it. It's definitely the history. But, but every territory yeah. had, like, their own style. I mean, they had these different belts. This is one of a million. This, this is Tully Blanchard's father, Joe Blanchard, out Southwest Championship Wrestling in the 70s and the 80s, which is... Like the bloodiest territory of all time. Eddie Kingston was born to wrestle in Southwest Championship <laughs> Wrestling against the Sheep Herders, you know? Yeah. Oh, God, yeah. I mean, that, that would matches there, yep. But this belt is actually made out of cowhide. Wow. It was made by a jeweler. I had Terry Funk down for dinner. I mean, some of my nerd friends, we, we bring these wrestlers down for dinner once a month. Guys going back to the 60s, 70s, 80s. We've had like 85 or 90 guys come down over the years. And they tell the stories, which are just ridiculous and so cool. But uh, Terry came down. He told us that his dad had this made by a jeweler. Mm. He didn't know where to make a belt back then. You can feel it's kind of heavy, though. You know who's living large at my house? My three cats, Mr. Mittens, Indy, and Snickers. And you know why? 
because we switched them to Pretty Litter. Okay, so it's really me and my wife and my daughters who are living large, thanks to Pretty Litter, because Pretty Litter's ultra-absorbent crystals trap odor instantly, so no more bad cat smells in the bathroom. Pretty Litter crystals last up to a month, so less cat litter box cleaning for all of us, and less fighting about whose turn it is to clean the litter box. I gotta deal with this fight every single week between my daughters. This makes it so much easier. Pretty Litter also ships right to our front door, so no more last-minute mad scramble runs to the store because we're out of kitty litter. And Pretty Litter has another cool feature that makes life just a little easier. It helps us keep tabs on our cat's health. It changes colors so you can monitor early signs of potential illnesses like urinary tract infections and kidney issues. It's easily the best thing we've done for ourselves and our cats in a very long time. Like I said, Pretty Litter helps keep tabs on my cat's health and keeps odors down. Those are two big wins in my house, meow. You and your cat are going to love Pretty Litter as much as we do. So go to prettylitter.com slash Jericho and use code Jericho to save 20% on your first order. That's prettylitter.com slash Jericho. Code Jericho to save 20%. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. So you have guys... You bring them in to have dinner with you? Yeah, if you name a guy that wrestled who, who, who were some of the most interesting guys that you had? Um, let's see. I would say some of the guys, it's crazy. You think the guys that may be the coolest guy to sit down and have dinner with, who were the greatest promo guys in the world, you're thinking these guys are going to be great for dinner. And then you have dinner with them and they're just, I don't know, they either don't want to talk about certain things in the, that, that went on or they just don't really open up to you. And, and they're kind of boring. And then guys that you think... Well, he wasn't really good on the mic. You know, Ken Patera, I mean, he was a great wrestler, but was he really that charismatic? The guy just blows you away, and it's nonstop. Ron Garvin, who I was a wow. fan of Ron Garvin. I liked the Garvin stomp, but, I mean, he didn't blow me away with his mic work as a wrestler. Pretty boring, actually. Oh, he yeah. was the greatest dinner of all time. This guy's <laughs> stories were amazing. That's great. Um, but we've had, I mean, you name a guy from the every, every member of the Four Horsemen to WWF old school guys from gym managers like Jimmy Hart. I've had wrestlers like Bob Backlund, Terry Funk's been down, old school Florida guys like Steve Kern, Ted DiBiase's been down twice. I had Stan Hansen come down with Ted DiBiase a second time because they can tell all the Japanese Talk about stories. about the old Japan all stuff. All the Japan yeah. stories were just, just amazing. Ricky Steamboat, we brought him down twice because he was such a nice He's guy. Great. And yeah. his stories were great. And then you get guys like, you know, Mid-South. You mentioned that territory. I love Come that on, territory. Come on, what insane. Everybody I can get from Mid-South, I bring. Everybody from World Class, I could bring because it was such a cool territory. Hell, I brought Mark Lawrence, who was the ring announcer <laughs> at World Class. I remember, Just, and he had no charisma whatsoever. Zero. He's a if preacher ever, now. I mean, it's yeah, like. Yeah, but I'm saying you can see this stuff on YouTube if you type in 1980-something Mid-South, and you'll see the ring announcer. And they'll have some wrestler tell the ring announcer, hey, I want this match. He'll just stand there and go, it's not my job. Go talk to Grizzly Smith. <laughs> Next match, folks, just totally ignore <laughs> the guy. Anybody who was there, though, I would have him down. Anybody who had a cool story. Eddie Mansfield. I mean, you know Eddie Mansfield's story. The first yeah. guy exposed the business. I was going to kill him for exposing the business. <laughs> you know, I want to hear his stories. You know, right, come on right, down. Right, right, right. For had- those who don't know, pro wrestling used to be run like the mob in a way. You know what I mean? The NWA was was the mob for them. And when Mansfield came out, they people were thinking like, oh, let's get yeah, him killed. They uh, were very, very strict with kayfabe, uh, yeah. obviously, to the point where, and this is a great story. When we had that street fight, it was in Minneapolis. It was uh, the inner circle versus Dan's team. 
and uh, Ethan Page and Sky. And we had uh, Baron Von Raschke uh, in the crowd. I love the Baron. He was one of the first guys I ever met as a fan. Google, uh, folks. Google yeah, everybody yeah, we yeah, say. Yeah. Trust me. Learn the history. So he, the spot was he was going to put the claw onto Ethan Page. And the claw was the was was Baron's finisher. You put it on your your face, and and so, but he was not breaking kayfabe for anything. He was with his daughter, and he was like, "Don't tell her; she doesn't know." I'm like, "She's 50 years old. I think she's probably figured it out." <laughs> and he tells Ethan, "He goes, you know, I'm going to put this on you, and you, you might pass out. It's it's it's, the, it's really 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 it's it's just a claw." He could knock you out. And then as soon as his daughter turns around, he goes, I'm just kidding. I'm really light. But in front of his daughter, he was not going to. He was, this is a real claw, daughter. He's going to get knocked out. I'm just kidding. I'm really light. Was she, was she rolling her eyes the whole she time was, he was yeah, saying it? Yeah, I can see that. Oh, dad. Yeah, she said, he still has never told me that uh, wrestling is a show. He will refuse to ever say that. Yeah, we had Baron down for dinner. He was he was super cool. But and you hear about like certain stories in wrestling, certain moments that everybody knows. You know that happened. Some are really great and some are horrible. But then you bring the guys down and hear their versions of the story. Bruiser Brody's death in Puerto Rico. God. You know, I, I've had down both of the young bloods who were in the locker room at the time. I had Tony Atlas down who was in the locker room at the time. Abdullah the Butcher was there. Dutch Mantel was booking. We've had him down for dinner. And you hear all the versions of what happened, and it's like. It's kind of like that game where, you know, somebody whispers to him, sure. whispers to her. By the time it gets back, it's like totally different, yeah. you know, and it's like. You just, so what, what were some of the things that they said about Bruiser? Obviously, Bruiser Brody was murdered in Puerto Rico in the shower, but no one really knows for sure what happened. Tony Atlas thinks they killed him in the hospital. You know, he says when he handed him over, he was alive. And you hear different, ver everybody had a different reason for why they did it. Bruiser was taken over the promotion. Bruiser was hard to work with. He was yeah. beating guys up. He refused to do jobs for anybody. He, they owed him money and they didn't want to pay him. Who knows, right? Um, but, you know, everybody had a different story of what happened. Everybody had a different story of who was in the locker room when it happened. If it happened in the shower, if it happened inside, you know, where, where the lockers were. So I, mean, I just kind of put my hands up and I was like, man, I, you know, I, I don't remember what I had for breakfast these days, much less what everybody told me on these shows, but I got a buddy of mine who's here. He remembers everything lockstep that ever happened in his life. Must have a lot of empty room in his head because he doesn't use it very often. But, <laughs> but when we watched the Dark Side of the Ring show that talked about Bruiser's death, all the guys came back and he's like, that's, he didn't say that. That's the opposite of what he said back then. Oh, so yeah, yeah, I, I, don't, I don't know. You know, it's, it's just one of those things where you don't know. I, I asked Vince about a year ago when that dark side came out. I said, w w would you have ever brought Brody in? And he said, absolutely would have happened probably within a year because Brody and Hogan – that would have been a that huge, would have sold everything huge out, yeah. money draw. And I said, what about you know, him having the attitude? He said, I would, have had to, I would have had a come to Jesus speech with him. I would have told him uh, you know, how we do business here. But he said, Brody was, di Brody was difficult, but he was a businessman. Yeah, he was He's a, a businessman. Yeah. He, said, he said, we would have had a chat. I would have told him what was up, and we would have made a lot of money together. So that's one of those what-if stories. Hogan versus Brody in 88 would have sold out everywhere. Brody was one of the biggest, scariest guys like in the history of guys. Great story. I'll share one from one of the dinners. Lex Luger came down for dinner, and there's a famous match in Fort Lauderdale. Same arena we used to put our MMA shows on. It was a cage match, and Luger was leaving to head to WCW to do his Four Horsemen stint. Brody was coming in. 
and Brody was in a bad mood and pissed off. They get into the cage match, and Lex Luger comes and starts, and Brody's just not selling anything for him. He's just whacking him and whacking him. And Standing there while he's hitting him, just yeah. like, no. Yeah. And Luger ends up climbing, that just climbs out of the cage and walks back to the locker room. So we, we asked him the story about it. And he's like, so I get in there, and I don't know Bruiser Brody, and he's a big, scary guy, but you know, so am I. You know, and I get in there, and he's not working with me, and you know, he's not selling. And then he hits me, and he hits me like really hard, and I'm thinking, all right, motherfucker. I'm six foot four. I'm 270 pounds. I'm shredded. I played professional football. I'm going to get the f out of here. And, he, and I climbed out of that cage and I went to the back. Very quick. Very quick. Smart I just let you know how uh, intimidating uh, Brody was. But piggyback off the, I didn't get to say off Tully Blanchard's, uh, what was his father's Joe name? Joe Blanchard. Joe Blanchard, his promotion in, in San Antonio actually got on the USA Network before WWF ever did. So, oh, wow. Learn your history. Oh, there's a little <laughs> trivia there. We had Cowboy, Cowboy Scott Casey down. who was one of the mainstays. Yep. He was a great dinner, super nice guy. At Bet365, we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every basket, every game, every point, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. Whether it's a three-pointer at the buzzer to tie the game or a player that goes two for two at the foul line. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment, it's never ordinary at Bet365. 21 plus only. Must be present in Virginia. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply. All right, Hulk Hogan, first title he ever held, 1979. He was still wrestling as Sterling Golden, Southeastern heavyweight champion. Wow. In uh, Ron Fuller's version of Southeastern champion in Alabama. That's amazing. Do the guys know that you have these belts? Like, You know, every now and then, somebody will reach out about it. There was a guy who actually held the Southeastern tag title. He calls me up a few years ago. Nicest guy in the world. God, I can't remember his name. And he, it was the only title he ever held. He held it with Arn Anderson, who, I mean, this is before Arn Anderson was Arn Anderson, but, I mean, you held the title with Arn Anderson. That's a pretty cool story to tell your friends, right? And he's like... You know, I'm a, I'm a bass fisherman now. I'm a guide, and I'm trying to bring my kid up and explain to him how wrestling worked and tell him what I did. And I heard you had this title, and I was wondering if, you know, could I come down and, like, show my kid the belt and tell him the stories with it? So he, just, he, he reached out to my gym. He emailed info at American Top Team and said, you know, can this guy call me? I'm a pro wrestler, you know, and super cool story. Yeah, for sure, man. Yeah, and I'm a sucker. I ended up giving it to him. He probably worked me. But, <laughs> no, he, he doesn't have a kid. No, he definitely did work here. His <laughs> kid's already grown up and an accountant. That has nothing to do with wrestling. But, but as a fan, as a fan, Dan, it seems to me that you kind of enjoy giving some of these belts to the guys because when it means something to them. It means the world to them. Yeah. I mean, I love that belt, that, but Cody Rhodes grew up looking at that belt. Right. He's Dusty Rhodes' kid, for Christ's sake. Yeah. You know, I mean, it means yeah. a lot more to him than it's ever going to mean to me, right? I wouldn't have gave it Rich, up. Rich Ward, uh, <laughs> Rich Ward uh, from Fozzie was in a band called Stuck Mojo, and in the '90s they did a video with WCW and Diamond Dallas Page, and the U.S. title was involved, and it was one of those things, like you said, someone just left it, so Rich grabbed it, and years later he gave it to Steve Austin because that was like one of Steve's first titles was the U.S. title, and Steve was like, "This belt means more to me than." the WWF title means to me. And Steve was so, like, almost, not in tears. Steve would kill me if I ever said he was almost crying. But he really, it really meant a lot. And Rich, as a fan, was honored. He said, I'm holding on to this to give to you. 
Uh, so it was kind of a really cool, cool moment there. Another segue, Stone Cold Steve Austin, everybody probably remembers when he came out on Monday Night Raw with the smoking skull belt. And he didn't have permission to make his own belt. He just did it. And the story goes, as he told it, McMahon kind of flipped his lid. What the hell is this guy doing coming out with his own belt? That's not our belt. <laughs> and they did an angle over it. And he, you know, he had the belt, and they wanted to get rid of it and destroy it. And I ended up with the, the, the only one they ever made, the original wow. one. Didn't Rock throw that off a bridge or something? Or is he, it... he threw the other one off the oh, okay. bridge, I think. That, that was the big angle. And Vince brought Rock in, corporate Rock, you know, yeah, to yeah. work to try to get the belt away from him and threw, I don't remember which one he threw off the bridge exactly, but he actually, that, that one's gone. He threw that one into the water. How did you ever get this one? Uh, Conrad Thompson, who you're probably yep. sure you know, he has a lot of belts and he's a super good guy. He actually had it, and we worked out a deal on that belt. And oh, wow. So he's the other kind of big-time collector, too, Yeah, right? he's, a, he's got a big-time collection. He's got so much WWF and WCW stuff, he doesn't really have as many territory belts. And I would I'd trade everything I had away for all my territory belts. This I is amazing. It's even got the snake skin on the back for the rattlesnake, right? That's cool. The smoking skull belt right there. Wow, it's amazing to me that the company's don't have like wouldn't want this for like the wrestlemania fan access or whatever it may be now nowadays what they do if you're backstage at a wwe show they've got like this big toolbox looking thing with all the shell yeah. the drawers and if you're the champion and you walk up to gorilla position they open it up and give you your belt and when you walk back they take it from yeah. you but back in the days prior to that i mean like you said you're carrying your belts around and you know you yep. look this way and someone grabs it and you know it's gone or you take it or you lose it or I mean, Barry, I got a Florida belt because Barry Wyndham's wife got pissed off. He was cheating on her, so she took the belt and threw it out because she knew it would, hurt, it would hurt his feelings. Respect. I respect that. <laughs> I would do it too. I don't know. You know what I mean? Also, just, you know, I get a belt. I put it right where the production truck is. I'm not carrying those things around. Yeah, yeah. But just so you know, too, they, 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 what they have in WWE now is the TV belt, like Dan just said. That's the one that's polished, it's shiny. You leave that at the arena, leave that with the, with the production truck. But then you have a house show belt, sorry, a live event belt. Uh, <laughs> uh, and and that, this one is the one that you carry with you. It's a little bit more beat up, but it's the one that you use on a day-to-day -day basis. And then the moment you lose the belt... Literally, if Eddie and I are wrestling and I'm the champ and he beats me, he takes the belt and that's it. You don't ever see it again, you know, unless you get it again. So that's literally like a relay race. You take it, he takes it, she takes it, and that's it. Done. No ceremony, no pomp and circumstance, no certificate. It's just gone. And there's no ceremony when you win it, right? You remember the hotel with the pizza. Well, <laughs> that's right. Read yeah. his book. <laughs> All right, I love old wrestling stories. I got to tell this one. I mentioned Barry Windham, who's maybe the greatest in-ring performer of all time. Flair, Flair says opinion. that. He's just, he was amazing. So, very well. So he had a run in Florida back when I was in high school where Cowboy Ron Bass and him were feuding. He loses a Loser Leafs Town match, comes back as the yellow dog. He's got this all yellow tights and a yellow mask, and he's fighting over the saddle from his dad, Blackjack Mulligan's horse saddle that Ron Bass stole. So Mario Cristobal is the head coach of the University of Miami Hurricanes. He grew up in Miami, monster pro wrestling fan. He loves pro wrestling. He told me that when he was like 13 years old, his older brother was like 15, he used to beat his ass on a daily basis. He said he came home from a show at the Miami Beach Convention Center where he saw Barry Windham, 
win the saddle back and he's all pumped up. He said, maybe if I make myself a yellow dog mask and put it on, I can beat my brother up. He said he took a yellow t-shirt, made a mask, cut some holes, went to his brother's room and said, let's go. And his brother beat the shit out of him again. That's Mario's story. I, I, I think it's pretty cool. Um, the first title the Road Warriors ever held, the national tag team title, 1983 from Georgia wow. Championship Wrestling. Freebirds held that. Uh, they actually feuded over when the Freebirds split up, and Michael Hayes had Otis Sistrunk as his partner, and Terry Gordy brought in Jimmy Snooker to be his partner, and they fought each other over it. But uh, the Road Warriors held that a ton of times. It's amazing, too, though. It's got the Confederate flag on the side, you can't, you couldn't use that anymore, right? That's, that's kind of been canceled, you know. But that's, that's amazing. Once again, it's just a little, you know, plaque type thing. It's very thin and basically just screwed onto this piece of leather, and that's it. It's interesting. And that's what uh, Dave Milliken said that Red, Reggie Parks, Ridge Parks. Reg Parks was the original belt maker in the 60s and 70s, and he was like uh, Dave's mentor. And he said, he goes, would you put a shitty frame on the Mona Lisa? No. So he said that the belt part is the most important part of any belt that Reg or Dave makes because that's the frame for these you know, beautiful pieces of, of, of work. So they were very, very strict on making sure that the leather was just as good as the One of my pieces. favorite belts of all time is the old Mid-Atlantic United States title. There's real yeah. good pictures of flair with it. It's got the actual outline of the United States on the yeah, belt. The, it was red, right? Red yes. belt. Yes. And I wanted it so bad. It had the red, the red leather, which back then the only other title that had it was Jack Briscoe's NWA title, like in the 70s. So I finally tracked it down, and Sergeant Slaughter had it. And I had lunch with him, and we were telling him he was going to see, he was talking about selling it. He was interested in selling it at the time. And he said, you're going to love it. It's in such great condition. I just had it re-leathered. And I'm like, what do you mean you had it re-leathered? He's like, yeah, it's black leather. And I was like, and all of a sudden I was like, I don't want it. And I didn't buy it, and I kicked myself. I wish I did now. But it was like, like you said, it's such an important part of it. I like, first thing I do when I get one of these is I smell the leather, you know? It's just like, I'm weird. But like, you're not. Well, well yeah, yeah. Come brother. on. You're you're walk around only, this cruise. You're, you're not the only around. one on the cruise, you know what I mean? We're all a bunch of weirdos here. I'm weird. That's one of the reasons why I wanted to do this is because you guys saw Dan on TV. He's such a great heel, such an, an asshole heel, but he really loves, loves pro wrestling. And he's got the utmost respect for it. And I'll tell you what, I've got probably five or six guys at our gym, guys that have been UFC world champions that have crossed over and done pro wrestling. And to a man, they say what goes on in a wrestling ring is five times harder than what they go through. They're like, I would rather fight in a one-night tournament with 16 other MMA guys than go do what these idiots do in one night. It's, it's a, my head coach, when we did a TNA run, he came up to Orlando to the filming, and there was like a, it was, it was a ladder match, barbed wire ladder match, and he's in the back, and this guy's one of the, old, you know, the OGs of MMA, Conan Silvera, and he's in the back just looking with his jaw on the ground. He's like, what the f is wrong with these guys? They're crazy. I'm like, well, you want to go outside and get close? No, I don't want to get closer to that ring. Are you out of your mind? It's, you know, you talk about having respect for wrestling. The MMA guys have a lot of respect for wrestling. There's some idiots that don't, and there's some idiots on the wrestling side that hate MMA because they think the MMA guys don't like pro wrestling. But there's a big group in the middle, guys like Eddie, that, that love wrestling and love MMA, and there's a ton of MMA fighters that love pro wrestling. There truly are. So It was so funny when we did the five-on-five, five and we had Junior... Uh, junior Dos Santos. Dos Santos, yeah. He was, he was a natural. He was really good. And then Andre Arlovsky, this big, giant Russian guy, 
barely spoke English. Looked like he was just wanted to just rip somebody's head off. I said, Hager, you go with him. <laughs> I never touched him once. It's like, Jake, that's your guy. Just like, okay, got it. But both these guys are UFC heavyweight champions and, yeah. and really during, tough dudes. During the primal era. Too. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And JDS is in the ring the first time he steps into a ring and they're working on some stuff. And Chris says to me, hey, you think he'd be willing to go through a table? Jake put him through a table. I said, why don't you go ask him? And he's like, hey, you know, I'm thinking of you going through a table. And JDS says, really? Really? Oh, my God. Thank you so much, Chris. Everybody thank wants you. to go through a table. <laughs> At least once in your life, you have to. Paul, you have Paul to. Walter Hauser won a Golden Globe. All he wants to do is take a bump in thumbtacks. Well, you give me enough money, I'll do it. <laughs> At Bet365, we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every goal, every game, every point, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. Whether it's a game-winning goal in the final seconds of overtime or a shot on the goal in the first period. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment. It's never ordinary at Bet365. 21 plus only. Must be present in Virginia. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply. Uh, the first title Ric Flair held. Mid-Atlantic Tag Team title, 1974. I did not, and um, I, I, dude, it's yeah. funny you say that, because what I do is I bring these belts, like when I bring a guy down to dinner, I'll do the research, find out who held the belt, and I'll bring a couple of them, and some of these guys are just like moved, like moved to tears, seeing right. this, oh, God, this brings like so many memories, this and that, and then other guys, you know, well, that's cool. I brought a couple belts when we had dinner with Flair, and I mean, he's, I mean, he's on your Mount Rushmore wrestlers, duh, it's Ric Flair, but he just wasn't the most friendly guy, I never took the belts out of the out of the bag and even showed him to him because I got the impression he wouldn't give a f it's Really? Could have been a bad night, you know? Yes. I mean, it's still Ric Flair, but I, I literally looked at my buddy who sets up all the dinners and 15 minutes in, I said, hey, I'm good to go whenever you are. I mean, it's, it's, <laughs> and then <laughs> there's other fun. guys. Ted DiBiase is having dinner and we're done. And we're like, okay, Teddy, we're going to take you back to, well, I got plenty of time. I got nowhere to go. My, my, you know, my flight leaves tomorrow morning. You guys want to come back to the hotel? I got more stories for you. And some guys are just thrilled to talk about it. And some guys are just like that. But I mean, it is what it is. That's why I love the older guys. Cause Chris seen me do this. I just love sitting down with them and talking to them and hearing stories. Cause then you can pick little selfishly, you can pick little nuggets out of their brain and make it for yourself in wrestling. You're always learning with these guys. And having old school guys, like you said, like Ted DiBiase around and others, you know, I, mean, I wouldn't call Chris an old school guy, but having you around and being able to come around and take shit from your brain, it's, yeah. that's what's beautiful about pro wrestling. But out of the 85 or 90 guys that I've had, they all tell stories about each other. And you, Ric Flair's universally loved amongst all those guys. They all have Ric Flair stories about how great he was and how fun he was. And, and he was, just wasn't a very good dinner. Doesn't mean, One thing about this this title if you look really closely underneath it says handcrafted by r parks by reggie parks he actually has that written at the very bottom of, of this if you guys get a chance to see that tomorrow that's really cool yeah reggie very had a partner cool. named ed schumann who was on the nwa board of directors i i actually worked for ed Did schumann you really? yeah back in i think nwa was like in chicago somewhere called milwaukee something like that I bought a bunch of belts from Ed. He had yeah, a bunch Ed of was a, Ed, rest in peace. Ed was a good dude. He paid me right. Not a <laughs> lot, but what we agreed on. Can't hate him for that. You know what I mean? Oh, I was I, able to have Denny's and pay off a little bit of the gas. One of the uh, great Owen Hart stories. So Owen was a big river. 
playing jokes. And he would always play jokes on his father, Stu. And he would call Stu, like, in the middle of the night and imitate Reggie Parks, who was Stu's rival from the 40s and 50s. And he'd be like, hey, Stu, I think I could take you. I think I could stretch you. And Stu would get really mad to the point where, like, if you thought you were so tough, Reggie, why don't you come try me? Come find me. I'll try you right now. Hey, Dad, it's Owen. You got me again, you little bastard. I love it. If you thought you were so tough, Reggie, why didn't you come try me? What an old school brother thing to say. Come try me. So, uh, 1994 ECW is a fledgling promotion, doing okay. Uh, but set, what really caught, caught fire for the promotion, though, was in 94, Shane Douglas had won the NWA title, walks in on ECW ring, and drops it in the garbage can wow. and joins ECW. And this is, this is the actual belt he dropped in that wow. garbage can. It is. I had him down for dinner recently and showed it to him. He loved it. That's amazing. He, that's the one he actually threw in the yeah. trash. Now, yes. before, you know, just... Why does that mean so much to you, Eddie, this one? All right, so... My God, so, folks, you know, I, I guess you could say I had, I had a, you know, rough coming up, my choice. But I fell out of love of wrestling because it was very kiddy. Someone said Matt Bourne. Uh, at the time, it was Doink the Clown, and it was the, Matt left, but it, it was around that time period, the bad Doink and the kitty stuff. And, and uh, that was an ECW, brother. We're good. Quiet. So, <laughs> uh, I just got tired of it. I got tired of wrestling. I was becoming a teenager, and a friend of mine put on ECW. First thing I see is New Jack. I go, oh, I grew up with guys like that. I see Raven with his old depression stuff. I go, oh, well, I feel like that. <laughs> I see Dreamer. I go, oh, he's from Yonkers. And then I see Shane, J Shane Douglas. And uh, I see blood and half-naked women. Folks, it was the 90s. Don't judge me. I was also 14 years old. If the wind blew it a wrong way, I was up and ready to go. So anyway, <laughs> ECW brought me back into pro wrestling where I found guys like Chris Jericho. ECW brought Jericho in. ECW brought in Eddie Guerrero, Chris Benoit, great Dean Malenko. Uh, a lot of the style that you see today, yes, it's, it's an elevated version, but it would never be on TV if it wasn't for guys like Eddie Guerrero and Dean Malenko and Mr. Jericho himself. I hate to admit it, but it's true. And ECW gave them that platform. Now, you can also say all that hardcore stuff, all that other stuff, ECW brought that. ECW took from the territories and took from F, uh, FMW and brought that violence to America. And at the time, all us teenage kids who watched Hulk Hogan and that as a, as a child fell out of wrestling. But because of ECW, we did. And ECW started, basically, they were Eastern Championship Wrestling, part of the NWA. The minute Shane Douglas threw that this title down, ECW Extreme, Championship wrestling was born, and to me, ECW, whether people liked it or not, I thought it was just hardcore crap, changed the business because, again, my opinion, I bet you, I don't know if this is true or not, but I just want to talk shit. Maybe he'll talk about me on his, uh, if he has a podcast. Vince Russo decided to tune in and watch ECW and said, oh, we can do that. 
and then WWF Attitude was born. So ECW changed the business whether people like it or not, and this means a lot. As fans of ECW, you could literally go to the matches and bring pots and pans and different household devices, and they would take them from you and use them against their opponent. I'd like to meet the sick bastard, the first guy to bring the cheese grater to the match. (laughs) But they used it. I remember a guy gave me a Nintendo game to hit Tool Cold Scorpio with once. I'm like, really? A person to hit with that, right? (laughs) (laughs) To the guy who yelled out Matt Bourne. The Road Warriors title, the only reason the Road Warriors got their first break in Georgia Championship Wrestling was because Matt Bourne, who was going to win the title the following week with Arn Anderson and get a long run, got arrested for doing something he really shouldn't have done. And when Arn, no, Paul Ellering went and bailed him out of jail, said, go back to Portland or wherever the hell you came from. And he disappeared and Ole Anderson needed a quick tag team. And that's how the Road Warriors got Oh, wow. Break. Jeez, you got, you got a couple more there, Dan? I do, just a couple. That's amazing. What a great collection, though, right? Yeah, for real. Such very, that, very that, cool. uh, All of them are great, but that NWA one, that's the one that Super got cool me right one. now. Yeah. Gave me a couple little chills, you know? <laughs> did you get any of your old belts from WWF when you had Oh, I didn't know. <laughs> like I said, you never got to have the option. You would give it to the next guy. I have a couple replicas that uh, my wife got shadow boxed for me. But well, that, that should one look familiar. Them. Wow. Oh, no, you got to look at that first, brother. You actually helped yeah. it. I have the most Intercontinental Championship wins out of anybody. Nine. And this belt never changed. This is the same. Well, actually, the the logo might be different, but it was always like this. I remember when they changed it. It was like WrestleMania 14. Is that what it was? It's when the belts changed, yeah. 2000. Well, the the heavyweight changed the next night. For Austin. This is incredible. Once again, talk about the belts. Like, I wore this belt so many times, and it's just like, holy shit, there it is. It's very cool. <laughs> any memories? Since you asked me a question, I'm going to ask you. Any, any memories so, about I mean, the first, maybe the first time winning this, uh, getting this championship? So, the first time I won it was uh, from China, which was, it was very hard. She, I mean, she, dude, she was uh, uh, a very special talent, obviously, but she was really hard to work with. Because she had, once again, gone so far so quickly and wasn't really properly trained. Plus, she was under the umbrella of, of Triple H at the time they were they were dating. So it was really hard to work with her in the ring and outside of the ring. But when I was a kid, all I wanted to do was win the Intercontinental Championship. I used to have, because Ricky Steamboat was one of my guys. And it's like, a, I could never figure out why Ricky Steamboat never got to fight Hulk Hogan because Ricky Steamboat is a way better champion than Hulk Hogan is. And I know he could beat Hulk Hogan. You know, that's how you think before you know the business work. But in my, in my mind's eye, we used to have this, uh, a sign out in front of the high school and it said, you know, congratulations to, you know, Dave Johnson for winning the, the skate, skating meet or whatever. In my mind's eye, I was always like, congratulations to Chris Irvin for becoming the WWF Intercontinental continental champion so that was always my biggest goal so when i won the title even though it was against china it was a little bit kind of not what i was always expecting it still was one of the greatest moments uh, for me because i got the, the the intercontinental championship it was very early in my run too probably within six months of getting to wwf at the time uh so that was a great memory to get this but the biggest memory i have is christian and i had a ladder match for this title in portland at the arena that we were just at and um, <laughs> I went to grab the title, and I remember holding this 
the you know ladder match works. You, you're grabbing it, and Christian pulled the ladder away. And when he pulled the ladder away, I remember like, oh, I, I'm hands on it, and I landed. The ladder landed up, and I landed on the ladder. It's it basically anally penetrated me. Oh fuck! And it it bruised my coccyx bone, which is the little bone on the end of your tailbone, which is one of never the heals. It takes never forever. Takes forever. And that's really? I go, what do I have to do, doc? He goes, you just have to wait. He goes, what do you want me to do? Put a cast on it? Like there's nothing you could do, but I Is just it a tail. It's a little, a little wee little tail at the end of your oh, tailbone, shit. and I just remember literally seeing the title and going, "Oh, that was great." The crowd's super into it. Oh, f- ah! And I remember Regal when I came back. He said, "I saw what happened. It went right, it went right up your ass, didn't it?" That's a good regal. I can, I, can, I can see him. And you're in the ring for months after that, taking bumps the next day. I couldn't even sit on the plane. I had to kind of sit on my knees because my you, you can't sit, you can't walk, but you still got to show up and make towns, brother. I tell my MMA guys all the time, you fight twice a year. Shut up. These guys did it every day. Back in the day, 350 times a year. <laughs> double shoots on Sunday. There's no way in hell I'm bringing this home with me. Oh, man. Oh, wow. Wow. It's not going to get any higher than that. Thank you guys for being here. Awesome. Thanks to Dan for having all these belts. He's going to have them tomorrow in the atrium area. So go check it out. Like he said, he loves talking about this stuff. One of the biggest wrestling fans I know. Thank you, Dan. Thank you, Dan. Oh! Thank you, Eddie Kingston, for joining us up here as well. Thank you, Chris. Thank you.